the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. And we are in our places, and you are in yours, and we are ready for our reading tonight from the book of Genesis, the opening book, the very first book of the Bible. And we have come to chapter 18 this evening. So much going on in our country and in our world. So much going on. One of the things that I constantly am trying to understand clearly and get a sense of is the things that we learn from the scriptures about humanity, about human experience, about human nature, about how people and people groups behave and how God interacts and how God sees our world today. One of the most difficult leaps for us to make in our imagination is that in the times of the Bible, they knew nothing about electing their own leaders. Now, I say nothing. They do have something to do with their leaders. The people have something to say about it in their response to their leadership, but they certainly don't elect them and select them specifically as we do today. And that, to me, is always just a little bit of a difference. I often think, what would Jesus have done? What would Paul have done in the early times of the church if they lived in a setting where the people elected the leaders instead of dictators or tyrants? It's something we can chew on and think about. Well, before we get to our reading in the book of Genesis tonight, 18, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment. In the book of the Psalms tonight, here on The Bible Life. Psalm 5 O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. 
Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I will never pray to anyone but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. O God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the slightest sin. Therefore, the proud will not be allowed to stand in your presence. For you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. With deepest awe, I will worship at your temple. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Tell me clearly what to do, and show me which way to turn. My enemies cannot speak one truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their speech is filled with flattery. O oh God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins, for they rebel against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Protect them so all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord, surrounding them with your shield of love. End of reading, Psalm 5. I was born in Tennessee, late July humidity. Doctors said I was lucky to be alive. I've been troubled since the day that I got here. Troubled to the day that I disappeared. That'll be the day that I finally get it right. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Interesting song tonight as we return to the Bible Live broadcast. Interesting in the light of the passage from Psalm 5 that we read tonight. There's a strong emphasis there on praying to the Lord, earnestly seeking the face of the Lord in the morning. An example set for us by David. He seeks the Lord in the morning, in the beginning of his day, when his mind is fresh and clear. A good plan for all of us. Then also, O God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate even the least bit of sin. God has a zero tolerance for sin. We find that incomprehensible. A lot of people don't like to believe that, but God has no tolerance whatsoever for wickedness and sin. And yet David turns right around and says, for your love, you invite me into your presence, into your temple. How is that possible? Because David had sin as well in his life. It's only possible because of the Messiah, because of the Redeemer. He atones for our sin. He took the blast of God's anger and wrath about sin, wickedness, selfishness. He has poured out his wrath on the Messiah. He has taken our sin upon himself so that we who come to him in humility and receive gratefully and by faith his forgiveness and cleansing, then we can enter into that relationship and experience God's love. It is the message of Scripture throughout from beginning to end. And we'll see it again tonight. We're going to open up now in Genesis chapter 18. From the beginning now, through these 17 chapters we've already read, we have seen the creation of the world, the creation of humanity, Adam and Eve in the garden, original sin. As sin nature comes into the human race, as it affects Adam and Eve, as it affects their children, as it affects generations beyond them, to the time when wickedness and evil dominated the human race to such an extent that God called down judgment on the whole race except Noah and his sons and their three wives, these eight people, and then we saw a new beginning with the human race under Noah. 
Then, of course, the Tower of Babel, where God confused their languages and forced them to do what they were supposed to have done from the very beginning, that is spread out and diversify into different people groups, languages, cultures, borders, that would form a mitigating influence on the sin nature within humanity. Then in chapter 12 of Genesis, God picks up with a man, a family, Abram and Sarai, and begins to deal with them. Let's follow now on the Bible Genesis Life. Genesis 18.1 through 21.21, Genesis 18. The Lord appeared again to Abraham while he was camped near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, about noon, as Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent, he suddenly noticed three men standing nearby. He got up and ran to meet them, welcoming them by bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while my servants get some water to wash your feet. Let me prepare some food to refresh you. Please stay a while before continuing on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, get three measures of your best flour and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a fat calf and told a servant to hurry and butcher it. When the food was ready, he took some cheese curds and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them there beneath the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? they asked him. In the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, About this time next year I will return, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent nearby. And since Abraham and Sarah were both very old, and Sarah was long past the age of having children, she laughed silently to herself. How could a worn-out woman like me have a baby, she thought, and when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? About a year from now, just as I told you, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied that she had laughed. But he said, That is not true. You did laugh. Then the men got up from their meal and started on towards Sodom. Abraham went with them part of the way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? the Lord asked. For Abraham will become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord and do what is right and just. Then I will do for him all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are extremely evil and that everything they do is wicked. I am going down to see whether or not these reports are true. Then I will know. The two other men went on towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham for a while. Abraham approached him and said, Will you destroy both innocent and guilty alike? Suppose you find fifty innocent people there within the city. Will you still destroy it and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the innocent with the guilty, Why you would be treating the innocent and the guilty exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find fifty innocent people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again, Since I have begun, let me go on and speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there are only forty-five. Will you destroy the city for lack of five? 
And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only forty. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if there are forty. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only thirty are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if there are thirty. Then Abraham said, Since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only twenty. And the Lord said, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of the twenty. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please do not get angry. I will speak but once more. Suppose only ten are found there. And the Lord said, Then for the sake of the ten, I will not destroy it. The Lord went on his way when he had finished his conversation with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his tent. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 19. That evening the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. And Lot was sitting there as they arrived. When he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed low to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home to wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You may then get up in the morning as early as you like and be on your way again. Oh, no, they said. We'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him. He set a great feast before them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast. After the meal, as they were preparing to retire for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. Lot stepped outside to talk with them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Do with them as you wish, but leave these men alone, for they are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. Who do you think you are? We let you settle among us, and now you are trying to tell us what to do. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged at Lot and began breaking down the door. But the two angels reached out and pulled Lot in and bolted the door. Then they blinded the men of Sodom so they couldn't find the doorway. Do you have any other relatives here in the city, the angels asked. Get them out of this place, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we will destroy the city completely. The stench of the place has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, Quick, get out of the city. The Lord is going to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out of here right now, or you will be caught in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angels seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. Run for your lives, the angels warned. Do not stop anywhere in the valley. And don't look back. Escape to the mountains or you will die. Oh no, my lords, please, Lot begged. You have been so kind to me and saved my life, and you have granted me such mercy. But I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there, and I would soon die. See, there is a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said. I will grant your request. I will not destroy that little village. But hurry, for I can do nothing until you are there. 
From that time on, that village was known as Zoar. The sun was rising as Lot reached the village. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the heavens on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them, along with the other cities and villages of the plain, eliminating all life, people, plants, and animals alike. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following along behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. The next morning Abraham was up early and hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain to Sodom and Gomorrah and saw columns of smoke and fumes as from a furnace rising from the cities there. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities of the plain. Afterward, Lot left Zoar because he was afraid of the people there, and he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. One day, the older daughter said to her sister, There isn't a man anywhere in this entire area for us to marry, and our father will soon be too old to have children. Come, let's get him drunk with wine, and then we will sleep with him. That way we will preserve our family line through our father. So that night they got him drunk, and the older daughter went in and slept with her father. He was unaware of her lying down or getting up again. The next morning the older daughter said to her younger sister, I slept with our father last night. Let's get him drunk with wine again tonight, and you go in and sleep with him. That way our family line will be preserved. So that night they got him drunk again, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. As before, he was unaware of her lying down or getting up again. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. When the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab. He became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Moabites. When the younger daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Ben-Ami. He became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Ammonites. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 20. Now Abraham moved south to the Negev and settled for a while between Kadesh and Shur at a place called Gerar. Abraham told people there that his wife Sarah was his sister. So King Abimelech sent for her and had her brought to him at his palace. But one night God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, You are a dead man, for that woman you took is married. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent man? Abraham told me she is my sister, and she herself said, Yes, he is my brother. I acted in complete innocence. Yes, I know you are innocent, God replied. That is why I kept you from sinning against me. I did not let you touch her. Now return her to her husband, and he will pray for you, for he is a prophet. Then you will live. But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and your entire household will die. Abimelech got up early the next morning and hastily called a meeting of all his servants. When he told them what had happened, great fear swept through the crowd. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What is this you have done to us, he demanded. What have I done to you that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? This kind of thing should not be done. Why have you done this to us? Well, Abraham said, I figured this to be a godless place. I thought they will want my wife and will kill me to get her. Besides, she is my sister. We both have the same father, though different mothers, and I married her. When God sent me to travel far from my father's home, I told her, Wherever we go, have the kindness to say that you are my sister. 
Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and servants, both men and women, and gave them to Abraham. And he returned his wife Sarah to him. Look over my kingdom and choose a place where you would like to live, Abimelech told him. Then he turned to Sarah. Look, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand pieces of silver to compensate for any embarrassment I may have caused you. This will settle any claim against me in this matter. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and the other women of the household so they could have children. For the Lord had stricken all the women with infertility as a warning to Abimelech for having taken Abraham's wife. Genesis 21 Then the Lord did exactly what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant, and she gave a son to Abraham in his old age. It all happened at the time God had said it would. And Abraham named his son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old at the time, and Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. For who would have dreamed that I would ever have a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. As time went by and Isaac grew and was weaned, Abraham gave a big party to celebrate the happy occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of that servant and her son. He is not going to share the family inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, Do not be upset over the boy and your servant wife. Do just as Sarah says, For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he also is your son. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food for the journey, and strapped a container of water to Hagar's shoulders. He sent her away with their son, and she walked out into the wilderness of Beersheba, wandering aimlessly. When the water was gone, she left the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. Then God heard the boy's cries, and the angel of God called to Hagar from the sky. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries from the place where you laid him. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well. She immediately filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness of Paran. He became an expert archer, and his mother arranged a marriage for him with a young woman from Egypt. End of reading Genesis 18:1 through 21:21. Lots of room to uh, learn so very much about God and his ways, about human nature. These three men who come to visit Abraham and Sarah, who deliver the news that she is to have a child a year later, Sarah laughs silently to herself. Two of the men, or angels, we're not sure, continue on to carry out the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Archaeology shows that there was a very uh, advanced civilization.
civilization there at that time. It also shows that they disappeared rapidly. Sodom and Gomorrah are believed to be now under the Dead Sea. Perhaps you were intrigued by the lesson that God seems to deliver to Abraham. This seems to be clearly a moment that God is taking to teach Abraham a lesson. He reviews the fact that he's going to use Abraham and his descendants to continue a work of revelation of himself to the nations of the world and to carry out the redemptive plan. But I suppose Abraham is thinking of his nephew Lot and his family, and he's thinking he wants them to be saved. He begins bargaining with God. If there are 50 people, if there are 45 people, if there are 40 people, if there are 30 people, 20 people, 10 people, and God extends his mercy and his grace. God undoubtedly already knew that there were evidently not even 10 righteous, godly people in this entire city. It must have been incredibly decadent. We're told in Ezekiel, centuries later, about pride, gluttony, laziness, not caring for the poor and needy, and detestable sexual sins. This was the lifestyle of the city of the plains, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot evidently had lost his witness, like salt with no savor. His light had gone out. He had no influence over the people or the city, evidently. But he is redeemed. He is delivered from this judgment because of Abraham's prayer, his intercession. His wife is turned to a pillar of salt. The daughters that he offers up to these men, who knows what he might have been thinking there. Hospitality was an incredibly high value of the culture of that times, And even to these times, it is a very high value in those cultures. But to offer his daughters... Possibly Lot was scheming to save both the girls and the visitors, hoping that the girls' fiancés would rescue them, or perhaps that the homosexual men would be disinterested in the girls and simply go away. Although it was the custom of the day to protect guests at any cost, this terrible suggestion reveals how deeply sin had been absorbed into Lot's life. Whatever his motives were, we see here an illustration of Sodom's terrible wickedness. We also wonder, why did God not punish these girls a lot for the incest that came afterwards? The nations that were born from this incestuous relationship of Lot's two daughters were the nations of Moab and Ammon, enemies of Israel for many, many centuries. This was a great problem for the people of Israel later on. So perhaps their sin was indeed punished and the judgment was found there. The same thing happens with Hagar and Ishmael. God redeemed them. He rescued them. But their daughter married Esau years later, and they became another thorn in the side of Israel. Every time the men and women disobeyed God and did not trust him, as Sarah did not and Abraham did not, it turns out to be something that does great harm. It's a great lesson for us. Sin does have its price, either immediately or sometimes even further down the trail. Lots of lessons for us in the book of Genesis. So many things are for the first time they're done. Our first exposure to uh, city-states and battle and wars. We're getting into the culture of the era. But if there is an overarching lesson, perhaps this evening, to me it seems like it is how incredibly destructive sin is. We play with it so very much here in our culture. That's one thing I was mentioning at the beginning of the program. Here we have the ability to choose our leaders, to make our laws, and yet many of these sins that cause the condemnation of Sodom and Gomorrah are present in our culture. 
and we do nothing about it. It will not go Bible unpunished. Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.